You're listening to ReachMD Radio, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to Advances in Long-Term Care Medicine, produced in cooperation with AMDA. Your host is Dr. Eric Tangelos, professor of medicine at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota, and a certified medical director in long-term care. In long-term care settings, how are proactive approaches to preserving and promoting the physical and emotional health of patients crucial to preventing illness? What measures can physicians take to implement an individualized preventative health care model for their older patients? Joining us to discuss health maintenance in long-term care medicine is Dr. Susan Levy, Vice President of Medical Affairs and Medical Director at the Levendale Hebrew Geriatric Center and Hospital in Baltimore, Maryland. Welcome, Dr. Levy. Thank you. We're glad to have you here today, and this is an interesting topic that has some confusing terms that we need to get out of the way right off the bat. So what do we mean when we refer to health maintenance? What we're hoping is that certainly we look at what a person's current level of health is and that we're either looking to continue that same level of, of health and performance, both their physical health and sometimes their functional health and functional well-being, and certainly when we talk about the long-term care setting in that setting. Well, it is unique with the long-term care patients that we're dealing with to talk about health maintenance. What specific applies to this population? Well, I think what tends to happen in this population is that we have patients who already come to us, often called residents, obviously, in a long-term care setting, who come to us with multiple medical problems that already exist. So we also are focusing on addressing those problems, trying to prevent deterioration, and then also looking potentially for other things that may occur that we might be able to avoid in terms of trying to maintain their health, at least at the level that they arrive to the long-term care facility with. So uh, what screening measures might you take for a proactive way of dealing with this population? Well, certainly they can be variable. Um, in long-term care settings, there's a lot of things we do. They're a little different than we might focus on in the community setting, for example, in a population that may be healthier. So although we still focus on some of the other concerns about being concerned about the possibility of looking for cancers that have been undiagnosed or maybe at an early stage, or certainly screening patients for things like hypertension, high lipids. And we also focus on a lot of other things that patients are at risk for in our long-term care setting because there are multiple problems. Things like falls, things like problems with their thinking or cognition, those are all things that we also want to screen for and think about in this setting, maybe a little more so than we would in a community setting. So how would you proactively go after someone with a history of falls? Well, certainly, you know, at the time of admission, we would certainly try to identify if someone is at risk for falls. So typically in this setting, in concert with nursing staff, the physicians often do some type of fall risk assessment. That may involve getting a history of falls prior to whether the individual was admitted to the facility. You know, those would certainly be things that are, that are important to do. Uh, we can also look at other factors, other medical problems they have that we know put them at risk for falls. And then certainly not only do we want to evaluate the risk for falls, but we want to evaluate their risks should they fall for injury. And that brings yeah. us into another area potentially of, of screening and evaluating patients for thin bones, osteoporosis. So, and what kind of interventions would you take on a falls prevention program? Well, the types of interventions, and they vary from facility to facility. I think that is appropriate in some ways because every facility has a little unique physical plant, unique patients, unique staff, unique strengths that they have. Many facilities try to identify high-risk fallers and put other things in place uh, to try to decrease their risk of falls. 
anywhere from looking at their room environment to looking at the environment throughout the nursing facility that may be dangerous for that individual patient. The key for usually falls intervention or in most facilities is to really individualize your approach. You may be looking, the physician may be involved in looking at medications that put a patient at risk for falls, a variety of things that they may be looking at in terms of trying to diminish that risk. You had also talked about cognition and screening for cognitive deficits. Since so many nursing home patients have this problem, again, what might be some of the interventions that you might proactively take on? Right. Well, you know, certainly because we know when we uh, do studies that probably anywhere from 60 to 80 percent of patients who are in uh, nursing facilities have some degree of uh, cognitive dysfunction. Some people may actually have dementia. Some may also have what's often not recognized as a subacute delirium. And it's important that we screen for the presence of both or either. Simple tests on admission of checking for orientation. There's a variety of tools that are available that can be used to try to screen for cognitive dysfunction, including some of the components of the actual MDS that's performed in long-term care or more formal tests like the mini mental status exam or a number of tools that are available out there uh, that help people screen and correlate with the presence of cognitive dysfunction. At Levendale, which cognitive testing do you like to do? We've generally been doing the mini mental, although I've been exploring making some changes, mainly to look for some things that are shorter and to maybe get a better handle on executive function, um, since that becomes such an important part to look at when we're talking about uh, allowing patients to make decisions. Evaluating decision-making capacity is an important part of our assessment of patients when they come into the nursing home and on an ongoing basis, because we want them to be able to function at the highest level participate as much in their own decisions, but we need to have some evaluation of executive function. Well, if you don't mind, let's take our audience a little bit further into this with regards to preventative services and talk a bit about excess disabilities and how your facilities might go about guarding against people losing function that they already have and you want to preserve. Sure. I mean, certainly in this setting, we know that we're dealing with a very frail population. So whenever there's a change in condition, they're certainly at risk of further decline in function. So certainly at the time of admission and then periodically, we want to get a clear functional assessment of what the individual is able to do in terms of their basic activities of daily living. And then we want to continue to follow that over time. And if we see any decline, to certainly be asking the question of, is there something else we should be doing to avoid decline or actually even improve their level of function? And we do that somewhat on a regular basis. We address it certainly at care plan meetings at least quarterly. In our facility, we usually actually have therapists screen the patients on a regular basis, both on the chart review and sometimes even actually examining the patients to see if they feel that there's anything we need to be doing to prevent any further functional decline. And so do you keep your patients out of bed, active uh, in the activities rooms, or can you even take it beyond that? Certainly those are a real close link, and we've been working very carefully with trying to get our, if you were, our therapeutic recreation therapists working very closely with our physical therapists, working with our GNAs, and trying to keep patients moving. That certainly is extremely critical. We've done things like try to establish a walk-to-dine program so that we can try to avoid patients. What tends to happen in long-term care is where many of our residents, once they're admitted, they have some physical limitations. They walk slow. They end up getting used to a wheelchair and then their ability to ambulate independently or even with an assistive device tends to decline. So we really do try to take a lot of efforts to focus on maintaining their level of mobility that they had when they came in through such programs as making sure that at least a couple of times a day they're walked from their rooms or from whatever area they're in since we have a separate dining area into that area. 
Now, in previous interviews, we've not spent a lot of time talking about the physician involvement in care plans. This might be a good opportunity to talk about physician involvement in care plans since it seems like you're doing a lot of that. And how is this different from an assessment that other physicians might do in an outpatient or other practice setting? Well, you know, in care planning, you're looking at, you know, multiple areas that you're involved in, you know, certainly as a physician, not just the traditional medical diagnoses and management of those diagnoses. You know, as a physician, when you're doing care planning, you're looking at weighing a lot of risks and benefits in terms of what's occurring with the patient, that you're actually involved with the interdisciplinary team. I will admit that although I don't always attend care plans, you know, we usually do make a point to make sure that information is transmitted to me following a care plan meeting so that if there are concerns raised during care planning that's done formally, that those are forwarded to the physician, there's an opportunity to uh, intervene and work with the team to try to come up with a better care plan for the patient, including not just the physician components, but working with the rest of the team, whether it's issues related to diet or it's issues related to need for, you know, additional physical assessments, all those things we try to, you know, drive out of those meetings after care plan. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Advances in Long-Term Care Medicine from ReachMD Radio, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Eric Tangalos, and joining me to discuss health maintenance in long-term care medicine is Dr. Susan Levy, Vice President of Medical Affairs and Medical Director at Levendale Hebrew Geriatric Center and Hospital in Baltimore, Maryland. Well, Susan, sometimes we have families pushing back or patients pushing back from preventive cares. How do you advise our audience to help overcome some of those barriers? Well, certainly when we get particularly to some of what we traditionally think about healthcare maintenance, some of the screening tests that are done, you know, we do run into patients and families that either want things done that we feel are no longer appropriate or sometimes don't want things done that we feel are appropriate. And I think, again, a lot of this gets into weighing patient autonomy um, and patients' rights to make, you know, certain decisions about their health care. It's our job as physicians to make sure whoever's the decision maker, whether it's the patient themselves or their family member or other responsible party, that they're educated, that they understand the risks and benefits and really understand what we're trying to do and what the outcomes are. More so in this setting than elsewhere. You know, in a, in a community office setting, you may say, oh, everybody should get their colonoscopy every five or ten years. But, for example, in a setting like this, we really do need to play it out, as I think in my head, is what's really going to be the benefit of what happens? What do I expect for this patient? Where are they going to be in five or ten years? And are they really going to benefit from these interventions? So sometimes when I have families pushing for them, I really need to educate them about what my expectations are for their loved one and whether or not I feel they're really going to benefit from some of these interventions or not. Well, I've never shied away from a family gathering, and it sounds like you don't either. It's probably the best way to get people on the same page. Do you have explicit objectives that you try to check off, or do you have uh, contracts that you work with families, or are some of these plans explicitly written that everybody agrees to? You know, actually, I shy away from formalizing it that much. You know, generally, you know, following admission and periodically, I think it's very key to keeping communication with the family members. I often do that by phone. I try to make sure that they're aware of how they can reach me, or I work collaboratively with a nurse practitioner to address any questions or concerns they have. So I think a lot of that's more informal. I do think that a lot of the conversations end up occurring around when conditions change, and the decisions and discussions that need to occur about whether we need to change treatment focus, whether we need to change our approach to things, whether we're going to be as aggressive, whether we're going to move from a more 
you know, active treatment mode into a more palliative mode, which often is more appropriate for a patient in this setting. Now, for the medical directors listening in, what have you put into place at the Levendale home that would be in the policies or procedure manual regarding preventative services? Right. Well, actually, you know, one of the things that we do even on admission is we try to certainly encourage and, and review to look to see if the physicians have addressed what healthcare maintenance issues have been done. You know, making sure that we have histories on vaccinations as best as that we're able to obtain them or at least try to ask the questions, you know, has this patient had mammography done or ever done? You know, what is some of the healthcare maintenance that's been done in the past? And then as we develop a plan for them, identify where we think there may be, you know, appropriate interventions made. The problem in the long-term care setting is we deal often with a very diverse population. We sometimes forget that we're dealing sometimes even with younger patients who may have significant longevity and that we may need to structure our health care maintenance plans differently based on the age differences that we're dealing with as well as life expectancies that we may have for our patients as well as what their values and their goals are for their own health. Any final comments to our audience? No, I think the, the key on all of this is that we should not be denying healthcare maintenance interventions to patients just because they're in a post-acute or nursing home setting. But what is more key is that even more so than in a traditional community setting is that all of this needs to be individualized. We need to really know our patients. We really need to know their, their illnesses. We need to know their values and that we develop their healthcare maintenance plan based on all of that information. I'd like to thank my guests from Levendale Hebrew Geriatric Center and Hospital, Susan Levy. Dr. Levy, thanks again very much for being our guest this week on Advances in Long-Term Care Medicine. Thank you. You've been listening to Advances in Long-Term Care Medicine from ReachMD Radio, the channel for medical professionals. Advances in Long-Term Care Medicine is produced in cooperation with AMDA. For more information about this or any other ReachMD radio show, please visit ReachMD.com, which now features on-demand podcasts. Thank you for listening.